Hey everyone, Christian here. Sorry it has been so long. We have missed you. Um, I know you are probably screaming through your phone for us to announce when our next episodes are coming out, so I want to let you know we've got a script. I really like the script, and we are going to record that script uh, November through early December. So while I don't have an official release date for you, um, I'm hoping that by February we can put something out. Um, don't hold me to that. There's always a few snags that come up, but point is this uh, big old freight train is chugging along again and we're really excited about it. To tide you over in the meantime, here is a conversation we recorded a few weeks ago with Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Silver, three brilliant and prolific podcasters whose work you're probably already familiar with and if not, you can and should pop over to multitude.productions to see all the awesome things they do. But the three of them sat down with Zach and I to talk about storytelling and role-playing and how they overlap and the functions they serve in society. So all right up the alley of any Once and Future Nerd fan. I think it was a really fun and stimulating conversation, and I think you will too. Okay, enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special interview bonus episode of the Once and Future Nerd. We're so lucky today to be joined by our good podcast friends, Amanda McLaughlin. Hi, Amanda. Hey, it's me. Julia Shafini. Hello. That's me. And Eric Silver. Ooh, me? Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. Good one. So you guys are the, the brains behind Spirits Podcast and Join the Party Podcast. And in case any of our listeners have not heard your shows, why don't you tell us about them real quick? Uh, well, Spirits is a drunken dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Amanda and I kind of tackle a different uh, story from around the world each week. Uh, it's either something from thousands and thousands of years ago or something from the past decade. It depends on what we feel like talking about that week. And it is excellent. Thank you. And join the party. Uh, join the party is a audio drama that just so happens to be governed by the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, if you want to listen to a story of a queer assassin who doesn't know how to kill people, a robot who has lost his sense of purpose and ability to fight people, and a used car salesman that happens to be selling the a god that nobody actually follows, this is the story for you. We also have gargoyles that sound like Danny Zuko, uh, French bulldogs <laughs> that can move through time and space, and uh, a tournament that happens to be ba based on The Bachelorette and also invo involves people dying. And I'm on those shows. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> yeah, and I run Multitude, which is the podcast collective and podcast consulting company um, that is the kind of umbrella over all of our shows. And newly my full-time job. Yay! Oh, congratulations. Oh, very exciting. Congratulations. Thanks. And yeah, so both Spirits and Join the Party are on my personal weekly listens. I really enjoy them a lot. So oh. thank you guys for making them. Oh, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure. So um, we invited you all here to speak with us today because uh, mostly because I'm a world building nerd. And so I think there's a really neat intersection between myths and legends and fantasy storytelling and world building. And so for you guys' context and for our listeners' context, when we started our podcast way back when, um, 
Christian was the person who had all the necessary skills and experiences and talents and connections and everything useful to make a podcast. And he came to me and asked me to help him world build. So that was what I did. So I am super excited to be talking about this this sort of intersection between your two podcasts and our podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Where I wanted to start asking about is with fantasy world building, um, in a lot of fantasy stories, they sort of rely heavily on mythology as a world building tool. Um, our our podcast does this and uh, join the party as well as most D&D podcasts use a lot of deities and sort of religion based world building. But something that I thought was really interesting is that in a lot of especially Dungeons and Dragons, the mythology is very directly uh, interacting with the world in a way that maybe in our world mythology, you don't necessarily get that that tangible interaction. So like I think the example you used in uh, one of your discussions on your show is that in D&D, your clerics can literally speak with their god and hear, you know, a literal response back. So I was just wondering what you guys think about sort of the relation between uh, fantasy mythology and our world mythology. Are they the same thing? Are they kind of different things? I think that fantasy world building mirrors uh, the mythology where the gods are getting their hands dirty. So not to beat this drum already, but the ideas of Greek, Roman and uh, Norse mythology, the gods have are pe- are nearly people. They have person uh, personalities. Well, I guess more um, when you're thinking about monotheistic religions like our current uh Christian Judeo idea of God. The God is omnipresent, doesn't really interact with our world. You can't put a face or a name to that God. Um, When you're talking about fantasy or Dungeons and Dragons, let's talk about the warlock. The warlock singularly gets their powers from a deity or a creature or something with power already. So there is already this relationship that's directly built into the class. It's really interesting when you think about the different like jobs or classes in D&D because like the game masters really thought about the things that they wanted to include in their game. Like they have bards and they are explicitly saying that music is power they're also saying that religion is power or godliness has is power but you interact with that in multiple different ways so you're taking ideas of mythology and you're putting it into game mechanics uh, and trying to have a good time with it um, and of course like D is just a way to, to have storytelling so uh, it should mirror uh, current and past mythology in a lot of different ways And I think it's really interesting, too, because if you look at the characters that people tend to play in Dungeons and Dragons, if you're looking at like the very like stereotypical traditional roles, your characters are the heroes that would be in the place of like Odysseus in Greek mythology or something like that, you know, so your characters having interactions with the gods in the real world wouldn't seem typical and obviously wasn't typical for ancient Greek religion, but it was typical for heroes to have those encounters. So to have your characters being able to speak to the gods and get responses is just putting your character in your D and D character in the shoes of the classic characters of Greek and Roman and Norse mythology. And for me, being the layperson on spirits and a player in Eric's world in Join the Party, um, it's so satisfying for me to have an opportunity to 
in the case of spirits, hear about these kinds of stories and in JTP be a part of the kind of story where you can get answers and you can get to the bottom of stuff. You can solve mysteries. You can talk to deities, um, you know, and, and you can kind of be um, at the center of things when big, bad stuff is happening in your universe. Um, one of the first questions I always ask Julia when she teaches me about a new story from a, you know, new to me belief system um, or culture is like, okay, so so like, is the God around? Like, do the gods live on this earth? Do they talk to people? You know, do they have mm-hmm. bodies? Um, and it's that kind of like, almost like physicality um, to a, a deity that I get really excited about. Um, at least growing up in, in the Catholic tradition, there's a lot of ritual, but but not a lot of direct communing with, um, you know, your God. That's different for different parts of Christianity, different for all kinds of belief systems. Uh, but maybe that's part of why I find it so uh, amazing that on Join the Party, we get to have like meaningful interactions with, um, you know, godly figures. And on Spirits, we get to hear, as Julia said, you know, the stories that like endure and the stories that inspire people and that become a part of different cultures um, and, and histories are ones where people for once get to do that and get to kind of talk to the source. Not only that, in some of mythologies, when you're talking about monsters, things that you need to fight, they do a very good job at breaking down qualities or attacks or stages or auras that happen to be around the monsters. <laughs> so they become pretty good things that you want to beat up when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, a really good example that I work with Julia and for in uh, Join the Party is the Baki Kujira. It is, that is a, um, what's the, what's the word for Japanese monster? Yokai. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a yokai from the Japanese tradition. Basically, the Kabaki Kujira is a bone whale or a ghost whale. Uh, kind of just hangs out in the in the sea as a bad portent. You see it uh, when it rains. You see it. Um, the fishermen see it. Uh, when they think that something bad is going to happen. And there's always this like deadly gross aura of fish and birds flying around it. And it's very tangible. Like I know what it looks like even, even without looking at, uh, I don't know if it's wood carvings, but looking at renderings of what this thing could look like. So I can break that down. I can make that a boss for one of the arcs in our game. And it's very, uh, it's very tangible uh, for how they're going to fight that thing and what they're going to deal with. Like there are gross things around it. It makes things bad. It is an evil sign. Um, and I'm, I'm going to kick it in the face. Yeah, it's a lot harder to fight like <laughs> the idea of authority or the specter of paternalism or, you know, the like invisible ledger that at some point when you die, maybe you get to see. Yeah. Get ready to fight both the father, the son and the Holy Ghost. If oh, all no. three of them get together, they have stat bonuses. <laughs> oh, my. It's like a multi-stage boss. And then they do like a they merge together kind of Final Fantasy. Style. Exactly. But you're supposed to die at the end. Yeah, it's like yeah, a yeah. whole thing. Then you re- get resurrected three <laughs> yeah, days yeah, later. Pause, it's the pause. hero's journey. What can you do? <laughs> you have to pause the game Maybe for the three days. Maybe the party is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. I should have known. In Sunday school, if you don't know what the answer is, just say the Holy Spirit. You're probably right. That's correct. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize that the ghost whale that you guys had was so directly analogous. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, it was straight from the mythology. Yeah, that is that is awesome. I actually learned it from one of the episodes of Spirits. Yeah, I was so excited when Eric said he wanted to use it. It was it was just like a moment of like, ah, oh, my my moment has come. My teaching has come. <laughs> And something I love about Join the Party is that, um, you know, so Eric is the the DM. He cannot talk to 
us three players about what he's doing, obviously, because he's preparing surprises and uh, awful, awful things that we have to run into, um, as well as wonderful ones. Uh, But we have a number of creative uh, collaborators that contribute to the show um, that Eric can bounce ideas off of and, you know, develop, um, develop his plot with. So Julia has been one since the beginning um, and even got to play with us uh, as an NPC guest for a little while. So in terms of, you know, world building and, uh, taking stuff from your imagination into a story with other people. Um, I just love that our our source for all these ideas, like Eric starts them, but they also get to be like refracted and uh, enriched by other people's perspectives. That's really cool. So you were saying about how when whenever you hear a new myth or a story, you ask like how present is this deity or is this spirit or whatever your particular subject is. So do you think that's sort of a... Like, you could sort of generalize that to a lot of these fantasy stories, like, even if it's not strictly D&D, but it's always, oh, it's just one of the stories that happens to be more present. Do you think that's a way to think of it? I mean, I personally love uh, magic systems that are as like chemistry as they can be. You know, mm. um, I, I really love when power is... Uh, limited and it has rules and you can you know figure out maybe I should have been playing D&D a lot earlier in my life but like I love <laughs> magic that takes energy out of the magician you know and I love spells that require real things um, and, and that are almost like you know chemistry and physics so at least for me the more um, kind of like grounding and rules and physicality a system has whether that's again magic or you know fantasy or government in fantasy like i love reading about fantasy governments i don't know that's just <laughs> um but i i think it's really really cool and you know not to not to get too heavy too early but a lot of things in the world are out of our control but um reading about systems where it is really really clear what you can and can't do um and how you can you know bolster your power and how you can recover energy and find things that are missing um that to me is the most satisfying to immerse myself in um, and I will say, just from the mythology standpoint, uh, what Amanda says is completely valid because the way that mythology is built and the way that it develops relies very heavily on the like worldview of the community or the religion or the group that is creating that mythology. So when Amanda says, I like this because of this, that is basically mythology kind of condensed down to a nutshell in a lot of ways because, hey, like, if you have a certain worldview, the way that your religion is going to be is reflected in that. And I think that has a lot to do with how people design fantasy magic or fantasy worlds, because it tells you a lot about a person if they're designing magic a certain way or if they're designing their relationship with the gods in a certain way. Julia, do you think that that's um, conscious? Do you think that's unconscious? Like, how do you think that kind of feedback loop goes i'm gonna look at it always from a historical perspective Mm -hmm. so when you look at a whole society you can tell a lot about a society's mythology and like what they value and vice versa based on the mythology or based on the community it's it's very much like a ouroboros yeah serpent eating its own tail yeah no i've i've kind of settled on the the phrase feedback loop kind Mm -hmm. of between mythology and morality where you know for whatever reason a society will value certain things so they'll make stories that you kind of praise or encourage those things and then as time goes on they'll hear the stories which will further reinforce the valuing of those things you know chicken and the egg but that sort of thing 
And the environment has a lot to do with that, right? Like one of the first episodes of Spirits that we ever did was on Great Floods. And there are like eight Great Flood stories from different cultures, different times, different continents. And those are just the ones that we covered and fit into an hour long episode. Right. Um, So responding to things that feel out of your control, like that, that's the human condition, right? Is like responding to ideas of death and purpose and, uh, you know, life and birth and kind of all these things that seem to come from absolutely nowhere. Uh, So, you know, of, of course, kind of people kind of respond to their environment. But what is really cool is kind of seeing as well the like historiosity of the myths. So which ones arise when, which respond to others, um, which ones get more popular or get glommed into different ones or are spinoffs and like, you know, alternate universe timelines of, of original deities. <laughs> um, so that, that I find to be really awesome. So that kind of like, you know, anthropological, like historically based uh, study of people's histories of themselves, which I think is historiosity, but I could be wrong. No one wants to be the Frasier of Roman mythology. <laughs> um, I would like to. Um, there's. It's kind of a, a, a bigger question. So if it's if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to circle back on something that I think we've we've all kind of been um, touching on a bit. Um, that there's kind of. Um, okay, to be uh, that asshole who does a, a preamble to his own uh, question. I think there's sometimes this kind of like idea in the West that like mythology is what you do before you have science, that you use it to explain stuff before you get to the the better version, uh, which is is science. And I think for a lot of reasons, um, there's a lot to uh, a lot to question about that assumption. Um, But so as to not lead the question too much, I guess what I want to talk about is now that we have science and we have all these other ways of knowing things and of communicating ideas, what can and what does mythology still do uh, for us in our world? Oh, God, that's such a big question. <laughs> Hold on. I need I need a moment to think about that. This is like I could write a, a thesis on this, but... Um... Do you want to go, Eric? Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let's start. We can start from the front and then work backwards. So I think that um, mythology still has a place in uh, modern American culture. We just need to reframe what we consider to be mythology. I mean, any sort of storytelling, any sort of, um, I guess, look back at what we believe is now mythology. I mean, modern mythology, I... American gods is such a good representation of trying to put like ideas that we have in the modern age into like a a God form, like the way that we tell stories on the internet, the way that we talk to each other using technology, uh, modern sci-fi, modern, uh, magic realism stories i mean the the stuff that karen russell is churning out is pretty goddamn close to mythology that i've heard on spirits so i think that um just it is no uh because we have democratized storytelling we need to consider who it is that who it is that are our storytellers and then reconsider what mythology means to us in the 21st century um okay so i think when it comes to this question we use mythology as an umbrella term, especially on spirits, to describe just all kinds of storytelling. Um, and I think the issue with that, and I've I've been trying to really consider that a lot in our more recent episodes, is that a lot of the quote-unquote myths that we tell are part of living traditions. 
So when we talk about the deer woman, uh, which is a woman spirit in a lot of indigenous cultures, uh, it's it's not to North America, indigenous to North America. Yes, okay. indigenous to North America. Um, it, it's not a story to them. This is a, an actual spirit that is a part of their traditions, and it like they st- there are modern tellings of this story. It is not. It is not. Like, like it's not history. mythology. It's not dead history. It's not ancient, uh, despite the fact that, you know, the American government has tried to basically destroy all all aspects of indigenous culture. It, it is still a living part of their culture and their belief system. And like a lot of times people request like, ooh, tell this creepy story about Wendigos or skinwalkers. I'm like, I can't because those are literally aspects of someone's tradition. That's like me telling stories about saints i don't yeah and like we, we've touched upon like christian mythology a lot but like also amanda and i are from that background so i feel comfortable talking about that obviously we are not indigenous people so i i would never want to tell those stories for those people so when we did that episode on the deer woman i took from only indigenous sources and there's some great databases that have traditional tellings of the story that are usually um only oral traditions uh but they're being documented by a bunch of universities so that's where i found a lot of the sources that we used for that episode and i'm really happy when we get to kind of complicate that border between like you know, in in scare quotes, like fact and fiction or history and reality, um, because our brains tell stories like that is one of the fundamental tenets of psychology, which is a science uh, about how human beings like, you know, anxiety is the like irrational uh, application of stories or, you know, storylines to events in the future um, that are that are out of proportion. Um, and, you know, fear and love and like finding families and following careers and all of our psychological biases, you know, are all based on the fact that the human brain is so attached to storytelling and pattern recognition. Um, so, you know, talking about saints is a thing that like, our families do all the time and they are like an active present like right now today in the world way that they understand interpret live in move through the world um science similarly is how we describe our past how we understand our present and how we like make predictions for the future um for a lot of people science is a spiritual thing and it gives them a lot of um you know it checks a lot of the boxes that religion does for others in terms of you know feeling like you have a place in the world like you have some sense of control over things that feel uncontrollable a lot of the time time. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a, a neat answer to the question posed so many minutes ago before Julian and I started waxing uh, <laughs> uh, quixotic, but um, it's, I don't know. I think they're both valuable. I would never want to discuss one without the other. And um, I don't know. I was a literature major, so everything's a narrative to me. <laughs> yeah. And I should disclose that I do science with my day job. So I'm kind of on the other side of that. But did any of you see the story I'm trying to remember where I saw it or heard it. It must have been a podcast because that's where I get most of my information. That's but fair. there was some 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 story that uh, storytelling is directly linked to the development of empathy in humans. Yeah, that sounds I think right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, putting yourself in someone's shoes is is the definition of a story um, or, right. or making others feel your, you know, fill your shoes and, and feel your feelings. Humans have always wanted to know why. And that's why we have mythology. We sat down as early humans and we needed an explanation for why does the 
sunrise and the moon rise and why don't we see them at the same time and why do these days go and why do the seasons happen and so uh, mythology is just the human reasoning behind those things before we had science and so we have been telling stories because we want to know why and because we need to know why and so to have mythology and to have these explanations has always been sort of this human experience yeah, and it's that exact drive that makes people conduct tests and look at the stars and sail far, far, far away until they can try to find some edge or confirm that there isn't one. Uh, so I think it, it would be, you know, short-sighted to to write off one as as like a you know primitive impulse or to call the other one like the the high truth because um, we need you know we we need both things in our lives or at least to respect the or you know the one urge in in its kind of place as like the origin of scientific thinking. Something that you mentioned, which I thought was kind of interesting, you said how it's not, sorry, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but you, you mentioned that when you say mythology to the people who uh, tell these stories, it's not mythology, it's a living thing. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering, your tagline of your show is about uh, mythology, legends, and folklore. Do you draw a distinction between those? It sounds like they sort of all blur together. I mean, there there are, like, if we want to get really technical, there are historical reasonings behind what's mythology and what's a legend and what's folklore and what's an urban legend. But I, I find that it depends, honestly, on the culture, and it's like a case-to-case -case kind of story. Uh, it's a case-to-case -case basis on the different stories that we focus on. So to to get really technical and I don't know if I'm like I can get really technical at the moment but oh, please do I mean I'd like no I like genuinely don't think I could like <laughs> get, give you technical like definitions right now oh, okay but a lot of that is also based on like the colonial white Christian heteropatriarchy you know of the of the kind of west and the and the ruling class that decide what the right answer is decide what uh you know fake or old stories are and you know say like this is the moment where we're going to call it off this is what we believe and anything else is fantasy is legend is lore is uh you know folklore which is sometimes used to kind of devalue the stories of cultures that we don't raise up as like you know greek roman like capital c classical so uh there are definitions I don't think they are completely uncomplicated, um, and I'm sure that they are valuable for some studies of this kind of stuff. But in our kind of broadest definition, spirits is about, you know, the stories we tell ourselves. And those are the kind of catch-all phrases and, frankly, the podcast search terms that will bring people who want to hear these stories to our show. <laughs> Yeah. Also, those those definitions are highly debated because everything in scholar uh, scholarly pursuits is highly debated. That's just how it works. Yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, Zach and I discovered is that we were even having a hard time trying to phrase that question in a way that was not um, dismissive of kind of like non-scientific ways of knowing, which is probably like um, a comment on uh, kind of how uh, it, the English language has been structured for the last 400 years years or so um so that was and it's you know i'm glad that we kind of uh, tugged at that that tension because we even had a really hard time phrasing that that question right um and the the only other thing i'd want to say on that topic is that i think a thing that happens a lot in the modern world is that um mythology will do work that we're not consciously aware that it's doing and and 
some stuff can get baked in that that shouldn't be. Um, like I think a thing we explore a lot or try to in the Once and Future Nerd is the way that like um, stories that on on some level we know are fictional still inform what like it still inform what we think of as history. Like I think if you ask most Americans, for instance, to describe um, the Old West what they describe will look a lot more like Hollywood Westerns than, like, the actual history. Even if you ask them, is this movie real or not, they'll say, of course, it's a movie, you know? Well, it's like, what is history? Mm-hmm. Is it is it the, the records of people who kept records to talk about the facts that they wanted to talk about in the in the past before us? Or I was is just it, about to bring that up. <laughs> exactly, right. Or, or is it the, the way we understand where we come from in order to inform where we're going? You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it's so subjective in in the way that like no texts belong to their authors they belong to their their readers and that you know color is only our interpretation you know like you you can abstract this idea um as as deep as it gets but yes like not to not to dismiss your um you're really right like you know pushing on that uh on that border but i don't have a lot of patience for absolutists of of any kind um and no no definitely Yeah, that definitely includes people who, um, you know, think that they have an answer and everyone else is not worth hearing. Um, yeah. Because most people, you know, who aren't um, white supremacists are worth hearing. No, I mean, and you had a great conversation recently on spirits with David Reinstrom that kind of uh, touched on this and with, you know, the man who shot Liberty Valance and, and stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I think my claim is not that, oh, there's a there's a true history that we have to get at by looking at the facts. It's oh, for sure. about thinking critic knowing that you know people made this stuff made this story in a certain time in a certain place and looking critically at that you know it's like and in the case of the american western um you know the history that was created was built kind of even at the time uh to to justify the the unjustifiable which is genocide not to end on too uh jovial a note as we've been saying, yeah. uh, well, as we've been saying throughout this conversation and diving into this question, I mean, when you everyone's story is just expressing the values and themes that they want to see in their own lives. So it's like you you read a story and you understand what the person is saying, but like the person has an agenda and then tells a story accordingly. So if we're talking about the American West. I mean, we're we want to have heroes. We want to uh, manifest destiny it up. But all that um, sweet, sweet land, all that good, good land. Um, but we need that. I, we need that to understand that story um, as we we need to understand the person uh, or the people telling that story by either looking at the story or the other way around. So either it's biographical or we're breaking it down. We grew up post postmodernism in literary criticism. We believe in uh, in biographical critiques of literatures. And I think we would be remiss to not mention like Joseph Campbell and the monomyth, just the idea that all humans kind of have the same human experience and therefore we see the same stories appear in mythology over and over and over again, despite the time, despite the place, despite the community and its values itself. In a lot of ways, I think Eric is reacting against um, that kind of monomyth in Join the Party. Uh, mm-hmm. Something I love about, you know, our, our kind of like main hero, Alonzo, is like he doesn't particularly want to be a hero. He might not be suited to it. He doesn't have the um, kind of, you know, charisma, bravado, like blah, 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 physical strength that most heroes do. So, I mean, Eric, I don't know if you have any um, thoughts around like what you're reacting to against want to revise and join the party. Yeah, I would say that there are two things in particular. 
Uh, one is I never call our characters heroes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you notice. I mean, I, I write a lot of the episodes. I write all of the episode descriptions and I also write NPC stories for each uh, on Patreon for each one of our NPCs. And I also have all my notes and everything on the website. I have never once called our characters who uh, fish Amanda and Brandon are playing heroes. Never. Because they're not. This is this is a story, and we have this like meta textual structure about our uh, recaps, where it is theoretically a bedtime story that is being told to some children somewhere. But it doesn't necessarily have to follow that narrative structure. I mean, I guess you could definitely point out some stages because exciting conflicts are just kind of what we traffic in sometimes. Sure. But we don't necessarily need to. Uh, I don't think it's a hero story at all. I mean, they're they're work. Each one of these characters are working it out by themselves, and I want to be conscious of that. The other thing about what we were talking about uh, storytelling a little bit before this, and how people interact with myths and their uh, ability, not their powerlessness. In fact. Dungeons and Dragons gives you a chance to feel powerful for once. You're interacting with the game. You're interacting with the story, and you can do something about it. Um, I, I'm happy to give that opportunity, and I want that opportunity. I think that Dungeons and Dragons is vast enough that you can kind of do whatever you want, and once you have an idea in your head, the game mechanics can back you up. If you want to have fights, you can have fights. If you want to be diplomatic, if you want to talk about power structure and really hash things out, you can. If you want to feel uh, like you're in a big party, you can have an eight-person party and split split things up and figure it out. If you want to feel a sense of loss and loneliness, then have two people playing. Have one person playing. Uh, the flexibility of uh, just the game structure lets me tell whatever story I want and also contribute some chance to it. So I'm not not the one driving it forward. This isn't a novel. It's a collaborative uh, storytelling experience. And daily, weekly, whatever plug, if anyone listening has not played Dungeons and Dragons, I'd strongly recommend it. It is a lot of fun. And for those exact reasons you said, it's really, it's a, it's an experience. It's a, it's definitely like, like exactly what you were saying to get that power to really craft things however you want to create a story. I strongly recommend it, as I'm sure you guys do as well. And if you don't know how to play, we can teach you. Join thepartypod.com slash recap. We made some beginner versions of our first two episodes where uh, my sultry voice comes in and uh, gives you tool tips on what the hell all these roles are actually for and, and why you use dice. Um, so if you don't know how, that is a really nice way to learn. That is one of my favorite things about Join the Party is those introductory episodes. Uh, you know, it was just put on a college syllabus. That is true. <gasps> Yeah. Today, Eric talked to a college class about the metatextual decisions and the storytelling uh, kind of mechanics in Join the Party, which I think is the coolest fucking thing ever. Thank you, Alex Danner. You make me really feel really important, and I appreciate you. That is very cool. What was what was the, the overall class topic? How did you work this in? The class it was a, I think it was a, uh, Alex teaches at a art school in Boston. I just kind of assumed it was Boston because he produces Greater Boston, but it's, I'm pretty it's sure Boston. it's in Boston. Uh, and the school, uh, it's an art school, so this was like games as storytelling sort of class. Uh, so I was brought in uh, to talk about how uh, game structures can communicate uh, themes and ideas that is very cool so one thing that you guys sort of mentioned a little bit already but what i wanted to ask you about 
is you mentioned at the top that you consider Join the Party to be... I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but an, an audio, audio drama, drama dict- happened to be dictated by the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons. Excellent. Exactly. Um, so I was I wanted to ask you about this because I always think of when I listen to join the party, I think of it as an audio drama rather than a game podcast. So I was going to ask if you think if you did that intentionally, but it sounds like the answer is yes. Well, shout out to the god, Brandon Grugel, for making all of our sounds and all of our edits and all of our everything sound on point and amazing. Um, yeah, we've, we spent a lot of time thinking about the kind of show that we wanted to make uh, before we started. We did pre-production on this. Like three months. Three months at least. Yeah. Uh, trying to figure out who our, who the audience was, um, uh, what ideals we wanted how we wanted it to sound how i wanted to write it we ran that first episode three times uh with different uh combinations of people playing um in different rooms uh brandon has bought so many uh dollars worth of equipment to get this all ready um so yeah we i mean when we were talking to people who know what audio dramas are that's what we say um and you know if misha stanton calls it an audio drama who are we to say that there are yeah we brought our pilgrimage to uh, our ruler and the ruler allowed us to use (laughs) misha would never uh position themselves in such a way but i i didn't call it an audio drama until misha was like yeah no it's okay um but yeah i mean it's uh our kind of mission for starting join the party like the idea that it kind of eric had drunk at happy hour one time was like well, it'll be fun to do a dungeons and dragons podcast that is what i sound like and when I uh talk to his coworkers <laughs> and then talk to me about doing it um and so we were all stoked for the idea but you know we sort of had the like burden and blessing of knowing at that point a fair amount about podcasts and so unlike when julia and i started um spirits where drunk at happy hour we said we should do podcasts about mythology um that's a that's a fair that's impression, I think, it. Julia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. And we we just sort of figured out the like minimum viable product to start. You know, we made some smart choices. We decided how to structure it. We did the pilot a few times. Um, we did our best. But uh, with join the party, like we I had been podcasting for you know a year and a half, two years at that point. Um, the other guys worked in audio, and so we knew that we didn't want to just plunk a mic down in the middle of our table, play D and D unedited for three hours, and then you know put a put a rip on YouTube and put something in a podcast feed. Um, so it was really important to us that we made a show that was really pleasurable to listen to that used music and sound effects and editing and smart playing to kind of recreate for the listener the unique magic of sitting at a table and playing a role-playing game with your friends um you know we wanted to kind of re instate some of that feeling that you lose by not being at the table we're all theater kids we all know the magic of being in a room with someone um and so those are the tools that we use to make it special and to make it you know listeners invest uh in our story like specifically we wanted to make it a, a great experience for people who don't get anything out of D like to begin with so you know if if you read a D thing or like see a joke on the internet that you don't recognize as being D, we still want you to be able to enjoy join the party um so that's why we made the beginner episodes so people can have just like the minimum knowledge needed to understand like why we were doing stuff and we also do a talk show after every single episode we have a, a kind of feature called the after party where the three of us sit around and discuss the kind of like meta level of the game so why we made the choices we did how we as players feel about what we as characters did answering listener questions about mechanics um and inspiration like the bake kujira um and and stuff like that so we just try to make it again like interesting for people who aren't like the stereotypical nerd or geek um demographic or who yeah. have it 
you know, been raised and steeped in this knowledge for 10 years um, or since they were 10 years old. Yeah. The greatest compliment people give, in my opinion, about our shows are that they inspire them to study history, to study mythology, to play D&D, to, you know, do a, a role playing game night with their friends. And that is kind of the, the most important thing um, that keeps me, you know, getting up every day to, to do this. Yeah, and I think you guys uh, succeed in that um, really, really well in a lot of different ways. Because coming from, you know, I am kind of steeped in all that that nerd stuff. But the fact I've always kind of, uh, among other things that I really respect about Eric, um, his willingness to do things with the 5e mechanics that are like not at all what you think about when you think of Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> like cooking shows and dating shows. Oh god. Yeah, it's I missed that. Excellent. I wish I listen, my only thing that I I wish I could have been able to express uh to everyone how to play chopped when in their own Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons game. It's the only thing I hope for. <laughs> Patreon uncle. Does anyone have any closing thoughts other than that that you just want to add or feel like we didn't say from this discussion? I I don't know. I, I guess I will have one kind of closing comment uh which is like I think it's always worth asking yourself why you value the things you value, why you want the things you want, um, why the things that make you like hot with shame or feel icky uh, make you feel that way. And um, none of this stuff is inbuilt, it's learned, you know? So whether that means uh, unlearning racism, if you are brought up in a racist society, like uh, most of us in the US are, um, or if it was looking back over the things that were important to you in your life and putting together that you might be queer, for example, because Kim Possible was not just like the coolest superhero of all time, but like look really good in cargo pants. Um, it's just, it's, it's worth interrogating that. Uh, and I think it's very cool when podcasts like Once a Future Nerd ask us about you know, what, what genre means and what story means and, and what's important and why, um, or, or shows like ours, you know, which try to kind of engage with that in a smart way, but also make, um, really uh, fun entertainment. So, um, yeah, I mean, to, to check out our podcast, so as we mentioned, and the others like horse, which is Eric's podcast about basketball, not the wins and losses, but the culture and the myths and the memes and, uh, the beefs or Potterless about Harry Potter and a person's experience, uh, diving into a story that has become the property of a culture. Um, but that was heretofore unbeknownst to him. Um, that's all at multitude.productions, or you can search multitude in your podcast player. I would say that my biggest advice, one, everyone should play Dungeons and Dragons, but 1A, everyone should play Dungeons and Dragons with people who are not assholes. Um, no, I agree. No one invites assholes into their community and allows them to do the myth making, so neither should you. If you don't want assholes in your podcast, in your Dungeons and Dragons podcast, come on over to join the party uh, where we're decidedly not assholes. In fact, we are quite good and there's a gay wedding and um, chase scenes and uh, no one tells talks about spell slots. So I think you're fine. I will try not to go on a tangent about assholes and Dungeons and Dragons in case any of the people I used to play with listen. No, but. it's okay. If they were, if you think they're assholes, they were probably assholes. Hegemony is worth challenging. <laughs> Throws down the gauntlet. Don't let them continue to play Dungeons and Dragons and not know that they were assholes. They don't get to live in their own like fucking beautiful world where they're, history where they're allowed to like have fun once a week and ruin other people's day. Like fuck those people. Can, can someone make like a monster manual of like the assholes you encounter while playing Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> mm, oh, I that would be excellent. <laughs> you know, there might be that listicle somewhere on the internet. Yeah, I think you can be. find it. Um, on that note, I will remind everyone listening to this that you are not alone in the world and your experience is valid no matter what 
it is. Um, and you can hear all about stories about how your life can be told in myths told thousands and thousands of years ago by listening to Spirits Podcast. Or make your own. If we're missing something, make your own. I want to see Yeah, it. make your own. Awesome. And thank you all for having really interesting and awesome and intelligent things to share with us. And we really appreciate you uh, discussing them with us and bringing your perspectives and expertise. It's our pleasure. Of course. Thanks, guys. For our listeners, talk to you next time. Bye. 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 See you later.